Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here. Hope you are all safe and well. Here's what's coming up today. I understand why my dad used to put spicy sauce on all of his food, so that the kids <laughs> can't have any of it. <laughs> Return of the Dads. Stuart Goldsmith and Tom Price join me to compare notes on parenting. Plus... I thought that a lot of the stuff that suddenly magically appeared on the shelves is probably just jumping on a buzzword bandwagon. But it turns out that I might be wrong in certain circumstances. Alex Fox on CBD and Ollie Peart goes DIY. It's all to come in this edition of The Modern Man. But first, uh, thanks for all of your podcast recommendations after last episode, uh, nominating your suggestions of things that the Man Fan community can listen to to help them get through lockdown. Uh, the full list now is at facebook.com slash Ollie Man. Uh, here are a couple that piqued my curiosity. Uh, Dwayne says, The best pound-for-pound use of podcast listening time is The Way I Heard It by Mike Rowe, the podcast for the curious mind with a short attention span. That sounds like me. Sounds like most of us, I suspect. Uh, Josh says, I listen to Brian and Roger, a comedy podcast by Dan Skinner and Harry Peacock. Short episodes, but very funny. Um, And Catherine recommends a show that I know John Ronson is a huge fan of, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Uh, Science news that teaches critical thinking and debunks myths, she says. Uh, I guess we all need a bit of that at the moment. Um, It's like The Modern Man is the entertainment magazine version, but The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is the peer-reviewed publication. (laughs) Solid recommendation recommendation Catherine uh, thank you needless to say uh, now is a very good time an optimum time indeed to explore our archive as well uh, a bunch of you have got in touch to say you were revisiting our episode the Downing Street heckler uh, following the sad news of the death of Paul Lambert who I interviewed for that episode uh, a couple of you saw in the papers they picked up that story and did obituaries for him uh, Joseph tweeted Ollie I was really sad to read about Paul's death he gave one of the best interviews I've ever heard on your podcast and seemed an incredible fascinating man uh, he was indeed uh, you might remember Paul was the BBC cameraman and producer known as Gobby uh, he used to stand all day uh, on the steps of Downing Street waiting for important political figures to go by so that he could shout at them and get a reaction shot which would then go on the BBC 10 o'clock news. Uh, a tradition that is very much still with us, which essentially he invented. And he was uh, a larger-than-life character. You can just tell from the reaction to his death on, on Twitter that he's going to be much missed in Westminster. But, um, you know, as with so many of our guests, for me, it was just a real privilege to actually go to his home, meet him, give him a platform to share stories that hadn't been broadcast before. Um, So, yeah, all our best to to Paul's family. If you want to listen to that episode or any of our archive, they are all very attractively laid out upon our website, uh, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Just click Episodes and you can peruse them all there. Uh, And if you click How to Be a Dad, there's a page on which all of the How to Be a Dad series of episodes, which this... Uh, episode you are about to hear is part of are also laid out so you can hear them all on one page Uh, and basically every year I chat to my mates Tom and Stu about our mutual experiences of parenthood you do not need to have heard any of those episodes before to enjoy this one by the way Um, but it is interesting to revisit the journey I think maybe one day perhaps when we get to 10 episodes or something we will put them all on a separate podcast feed so that they can be listened to together Uh, but I hope you enjoy today it is just as funny and honest and insightful as those conversations conversations ever are and it's weird you know when we started uh having these conversations back in 2015 i don't think anyone else was doing a podcast in which dads shared their experiences of parenthood uh parenthood podcasts were basically for mums and uh, it's incredible how the landscape has changed now 
There are loads of podcasts in which uh, comedians talk about being dads. Uh, there's even a similar format on Radio 4 now. But I like to think where we have the edge, possibly, is you can follow our journeys from before the birth of our sons right the way through. Uh, our kids are now four years old. Um, so, yeah, hope you enjoy this instalment. And just before we get on with the show, a quick thanks to everybody who's donated us beer money over the last few months. Obviously, I realise times are very tight right now, so it means a lot. And times are tight for us as well. Advertising revenue clearly uh, unlikely to grow. So your donations really are the main mechanic by which we can keep this show on the road. Uh, so if you can afford to pledge any money, thank you so much for doing so. Uh, new donors this month, Tracy and Richard Temple, Joe McCown, Simon Buller, Simon Skinner, Lee Farrow. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to join their ranks, visit our website, click Beer Money. And uh, to make a donation, you can use a credit card, you can use PayPal, uh, all amounts gratefully received. Uh, right, on this episode, you will learn why Paw Patrol jumped the shark in Series 2. You'll learn why my feet currently appear to be jaundiced. And you'll learn who fake Boutros is. Let's go. Right, time to test your trends with Ollie Peart. It is the Zeitgeist, remote recorded on Yeti X mics from Blue Microphones. Hello, Dorchester. Hello, Ollie Peart. Hello, Ollie. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I have a box in front of me, which I recognise the handwriting is from you. To actually get you that box, can I just say, I had to go into the post office risking my life. You go in, you have to be two metres apart, can't have more than three people in there. They've got screens up. The woman was like, no, you put the package down. Then step away from the package, which I did. <laughs> yeah. then she, this then, isn't James Bond stuff, Ollie. This is everyone's life at the moment that you're describing. It was additional effort on my part for you. Well, we're, we're here to judge whether it was worth worth all that extra effort, Ollie. Uh, just, to, just to remind you, uh, the reason Ollie has sent me a box uh, is in answer to Scott and Jen's challenge uh, last month. Scott and Jen in York uh, asked Ollie, uh, in this time of um, essential items being the only things we can legitimately put in our shopping baskets. Can he make luxury products at home? Well, Scott and Jen, originally, in their question, actually said, what could I make from stuff that I find around my neighbourhood and in my cupboards and stuff? So I thought I'd look yes. into to foraging, right? I mean, I've explored the world of foraging a little bit before, but I didn't know much. I didn't know what he could get. So I found this guy called John the Poacher. He does hunt, but mostly he's a forager. Okay. And I had a little natter with him, and I was like, look, I've got to make some luxury stuff. What can I find within walking distance of my house? I live in like a slightly suburban area that I can stick in things to make them a little bit luxurious. I'm sure that's exactly how the production meetings go at Fortnum and Mason. Well, he said, first of all, this time of year, cherry blossom is a good thing. It's a really good thing for scenting stuff. It's the pink blossom, by the way, obvious from the name. So he said, go and hack some of that off. And actually, there's loads of cherry blossom trees which aren't in people's gardens. But they could still be in public spaces. What's the law on all of that? No one stopped me, so I think yeah. it's fine. I did get some fine. weird looks, actually. Like Because I know with daffodils, people get really fussy about it because they only come out for a month. Mm. And if every kid went and took a bunch of daffodils, there would be no daffodils. So yeah, yeah just be, be sensible. Okay, cherry blossom, yeah. What else did he suggest? Well, the next thing he mentioned, which I, I kind of knew about a little bit, but I didn't think it would be something that you could integrate in a, in a luxury product, was stinging nettles. No, they don't scream luxury. He said there's so many of them around and they're so easy to find. I mean, they're literally everywhere. Well, there are weeds. People are going to be grateful for you getting rid of <laughs> yeah, exactly. those. Exactly. So I went to go and get a bunch of those. Make sure you wear gloves. And then I had to, you know, figure out what I was going to put it into. 
to make it luxurious, and voila. And here it is in front of me, uh, and uh, filled with multiple products, I can yeah, see. Yeah. So this, this box of luxury products is the very best quality stuff that Ollie Pitt can manufacture at home. Y- y- yes. Now, I'm going to do a live unboxing. I have not seen these things Ooh. until right now. Okay, so, so item number one. How you are. Item um, number one. <laughs> okay, that looks horrible. I, I, that does look horrible. I appreciate that. But yeah, bearing in mind, that, that's travelled that all the way from Dorset to, to you. Can you just open that? Because it looks like it's all mashed together. Okay, so oh. this is difficult to describe. It's, it's in cling film, <laughs> yeah. so it has the impression... Imagine something soft and squidgy and long inside some cling film, so a bit like if you'd bashed up a load of pork sausages to make some sort of meatball or something. Yeah. You know, like you'd rolled it up in cling film and then bashed it with a rolling pin. That's what this looks like. Yes, it Except does. it's green. Yeah. Like Play-Doh green. I, it really literally looks like a child's toy. Yeah. Um, and I have absolutely no idea what that is. Well, look, it is a luxury item now because global searches for this thing have hit an all-time high on Google. In that lovely, wrapped, disgusting-looking package... I'm opening it now. Is pasta. I would not know that was pasta. <laughs> I honestly would think that's Play-Doh. I'm not just trying to be funny. Like that's, no, no, no. It, it looks it, and it, smells like a string of Play-Doh. Something has gone wrong there. Something has gone wrong. Um, it, it, it's nettles, stinging nettles. Oh, well, great. I'm really looking forward to eating it. <laughs> you just stick it in boiling water. That might not need 15 minutes by the looks of things. Maybe it'll break apart. Actually, it might need an hour. With what? Look at it. Olive oil, cheese? What did you put on it? Oh, yeah, just a bit of parm- Parmesan cheese if you've got any. bit of olive oil. Mm. Bosh. Okay, next <laughs> is a package. It's been neatly tied with a ribbon. Of, I mean, this looks like scrapings from the seabed floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I'm... Oh, dear. What's it smell like? It doesn't smell unpleasant. Mm. It smells vaguely salty. It's an attempt mm. at homemade toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, wow. It's brittle. I mean, I should have said, if I'd have known yeah. it was toilet paper, then when I was describing it, I would have mentioned. Yeah. And I, I don't know how much information you want on this from me, but I'm not, you know, a stranger to a bleeding anus. Yeah. This is something that would definitely trigger those issues. <laughs> you'd be better off using your hand, really, wouldn't you? I mean, this is like sandpaper. And also, um, it disintegrates. I mean, as I touch it, it's falling apart. Yeah. And bits of what appeared to be green product inside would be getting stuck to my perineum if I were to try this out. Yeah, so I've actually got a piece here as well because I've started using it as a coaster on my desk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is actually quite good for. It, it's just back to the old sort of, you know, w- what luxuries have shifted. And toilet paper yes. became a bit of a luxury. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I wonder, I wonder if you can make toilet paper. And I found a website, which is a website for doomsday preppers, basically. And it gives you a a way of making toilet paper. So this is an old Sunday Times. Um, (laughs) It's lawn clippings. So that's actual grass from my lawn. Why? Why would you put lawn clippings in it? Apparently... Apparently, it you get it. the Sunday Times, you think what would be good is to make this softer in some way. I know, I'm going to put some reject gardening <laughs> well, waste in it. Yeah, well, no, apparently it, it, it holds it together. It, it holds the, the paper together. There's little evidence for that from the final product, I'd have to say, because mm. it is incredibly brittle, like you say. And then it's got some olive oil in it, which acts as a softening agent. That makes sense, yes. Yeah. And uh, it's also got some scented oil in it, which is, uh, I think I went for one called Vitality which my other half just happened to have lying around. 
how did you manage to uh, weld it together? Just bearing in mind, these instructions, it's clear, do not work. But yes. you're welcome to try them. Get a newspaper, you stick it in some water, and you leave it for ages until it just goes oh. like absolute mush. And so then like you papier-mâché need... beginning stages. Exactly. And then yeah. you stick it in a pan, and you boil it up. And not, you bo- not next to your stinging nettle pasta, I hope. No, I definitely did this all separately. I made sure there was okay. no other cooking going on. And then you boil it up, you chuck some grass in for, for some reason, and then you let it boil up. <laughs> you let it boil up, and it stinks. The smell is right. awful. It's revolting. Great. And then you, you sieve it out, try and get as much moisture out of it as you can, and then you literally roll it out. Now, this is where I had some trouble. It says you need to roll it out as thin as possible. Now, I reckon from I, this is a good four millimetres thick which for toilet paper is not good. You need some better way of pressing it out than I had. And I don't know about yours, but mine's got um, ridges on it. And if you can see, can you see the ridges? Yes. Well, that's actually the impression of my decking in my garden, because that's where I rolled it out, made that mistake. Uh, Okay, next up we have a jar that's full of something dark. Yep. (laughs) I'm I'm hoping this isn't related to the previous product. Oh no, is it melted? That looks uh, like uh, that's been mashed up there. Yeah. Oh no, it's identifiable what this is supposed to be. This okay. is supposed to be luxury chocolates, isn't it? Yeah. Can I? Can I see? Can you? And it smells good. It smells like chocolate. Oh, that doesn't look too bad. They do look a bit. It melty. smells like cocoa powder, and I can see what you've done here. It's like, is it black cherry chocolates? These actually smell good. No, they are caramel chocolates. So they are okay. chocolates filled with caramel, and because that's something you you just don't get. Like you can't. You, you can't. Oh, did it you make that imprint? Yeah, I made that. It basically looks like a posh Rolo. That's what you've created. That's, no, that's exactly what it is. It's a posh Rolo. Go for it. Have one. Oh, oh just to, to warn you. Just to warn you. Wait, wait, wait. Don't, war- don't as I put it in my mouth, just to <laughs> warn you. What? No, 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 because one of them... You rolled I, it on your decking? No, no, no. One of them... You I mixed ran it with out, nettles? No, I ran out of caramel. One of them is just solid chocolate. So just be aware. Right. First impressions, pleasant on the tongue. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah, nice. I'm biting in. Yep. Something gooey is filling my mouth. Yep. That's come, good. Come on, score it. Score it out of ten. I'd pay for it. You would pay... If I was in a cafe. Yeah. Oh! I mean, obviously, they look a bit ramshackle, so, like, <laughs> if you were in Starbucks, you'd be like, yeah. oh, what happened to your posh chocolates? Mm. But, you know, if I was in an independent coffee shop that was clearly selling homemade goods, and those were on the counter, and they said, with your coffee, sir, would you like to spend 80p to get this square of caramel dark chocolate? I mean, I'm eating another one now. They're pleasant. I'd say, yes, I certainly would, and I'd be happy. I'd say 9 I out of 10. Do you know what? I'm, I'm, very, I'm very, very pleased with that. I found a website called Charlotte's Lively Kitchen, and it was the best one I found for explaining how to temper chocolate. It's just really simple. And then I did it. And that was the end result. Also, caramel is unbelievably easy to make. Yeah, that's just melted sugar, isn't it? Basically, melted sugar and butter and, and butter, a bit of milk. Yeah. So let's, see, let's see what else is in the rest of the box. Okay. Here we go. This is fun. Uh, so this is fun. I've, I've two... enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this. <gasps> I think I know what these are. <gasps> Oh, here we They're go. in cupcake wrapping, which mm-hmm. I think is a red herring, because I think <laughs> these are bath bombs. Am I right? You are right. So you've approximated correctly the shape that I would want from a bath bomb. Congratulations. <laughs> right. What's that? A sphere? Yeah. And it's got um, little protruding white... They look like they could be icing, but obviously now I know it's a bath bomb. They're not edible, so yep. it smells of... It's vaguely citrus, but I don't think it is citrus. But it's got some foody thing in it, hasn't it? Well, it's definitely got some citrus in it, so you've got that right. It, is it yeah. Satsuma or something? It's not lemon or lime, is no, it? No, it's citric acid, Ollie. That's what uh. <laughs> you need. Okay. You need citric acid to make bath bombs. That is what you need. 
Okay, d- don't tell me anything else that's in this thing before I bathe in it. <laughs> I'll try it out and I'll let you know. Uh, and then finally, in your box of fun... I can't remember what it is. Again, well, again, it's to me fairly identifiable what it is, I hope. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, I remember now. Because it's in wax paper and it's bread-shaped, so I'm going to guess. Yes. Rock-hard loaf of bread. Is it rock-hard? Is it? Oh yeah. I mean, seriously, if I put that on my own head, I would knock myself out right Come now. Come on, knock it next to the mic. Let's hear it. That's what it. They... You've just got <laughs> loads of flour in your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it is dusted with flour. <laughs> I, I'm smelling it, and I can't tell you what kind just of do, bread Just that do is. your best Hollywood. Do your best Hollywood. Come on. What do you mean, do my best Hollywood? What does that mean? Paul Hollywood. Oh, okay. I thought you meant Hollywood from Mannequin on the Move. Definitely not. I definitely don't mean that. <laughs> like, I don't know, Ollie. I, I'm sorry, I'm not a bread. I don't know. It looks okay. So you've uh, do my best Hollywood. Fucking out. I don't know. You've you've kneaded it well. It's a shape, uh, and it's dusted in flour, so it looks like bread. There you mm. go. What is it? It's a sourdough loaf. Oh, I like sourdough. Yes. I mean, I don't know if I like this. Yep. Yeah, well, this is definitely something that people have turned to during lockdown. Well, it's men, isn't it? I've noticed this. Men are making sourdough bread. That is and I think true. it's the thing that it involves so much time and attention that it's mm-hmm. almost like a badge of pride. It's like a skill that you can learn. It feels, I don't know, for some reason more masculine to be making that bread than other bread. I don't buy into these gender stereotypes. I'm just saying something that I've observed. No, I think, I, do you know what? I think it's a fair observation. Uh, and there, there is something in that. It, it, it's doing that, I sort of exposed to this world I didn't know existed of sourdough, which is mad. First of all, the sourdough starter world, which is completely separate from the actual bread itself. So to make sourdough, you need a sourdough starter. So you have to make that yourself. It's basically uh, fermented dough, which you can make. You just need flour, something to create the bacteria, like some fruit or whatever. You remember I made you try to make that kefir once? Yes. Yeah, it's a bit like that. But it's a it's a lot easier, and you just feed it every once in a while, and you use that instead of yeast to make your, make your bread. And so how long did that take, and where did you keep it? Well, I was going to make my own. I was talking to my neighbours over the fence, and they've got some, so they gave me some of their starter, just a little bit, and then I had to feed that over the next subsequent days to yeah. get enough to then make the loaf that you've got there. So feed I did what? Just flour and water. water. Just flour and water. It just needs to be fed on a regular basis. And you can keep it for as long as you can keep it alive. And this is where this weird world of sourdough starters starts, like, becoming even weirder. There's there's somebody who has got a sourdough starter that's 122 years old. And you just leave it on your side. Yeah, exactly. And is he a a beardy man on Instagram? She. And no. The beardy man on Instagram, and there is one. There is one. There's always one. guy called Carl DeSmed. And he set up the sourdough library where he's collecting all these sourdoughs starters from around the world and creating a little sort of collection of them and making notes. And the thing is with this is you can register your sourdough starter. So I've started registering ours under the name The Modern Man Starter. Wow. I'm happy to send samples to people. I I don't mind. (laughs) I would do that. Because you don't need a lot. You just need a little bit. I happily do that. If anybody wants a bit of the modern okay. man sourdough starter, they can have it. Okay, so uh, I'm going to go and have lunch in a minute, and I'm going to have your pasta mm-hmm. with parmesan, as as you suggested, with some of your sourdough on the side. Tonight, I'm going to bathe in that bath bomb, and if I'm feeling brave, I'm going to wipe my ass on that toilet paper, and I will report back tomorrow and tell you how I got on. I'm looking forward to it. You'll enjoy it. You'll be so relaxed tomorrow when you get back. So I've been living with your products for 24 hours now. Um, and I can say that the chocolates have stood the family test very well. I, I want you to know 
that both wife and son were actually keen on an additional order from you. If you did mail delivery, they'd sign up. That's interesting. I mean, it's basically sugar, so you can't really go wrong. Uh, the bath bomb. The fizz was supremely satisfying. That's yeah. a citric acid reacting with the baking powder. I, the quantities I think you could play with a little bit because in a way it was a little bit too audible. It was a bit like I was about to climb into a science experiment when it hit the water. <laughs> 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 but it was making good fizz. You kind of were because I wasn't sure about the, the quantities. So yeah, go on. Moisturising. Excellent. Five out of five. That's the coconut oil. Because I had that feeling for hours afterwards of like a softness to my skin. Mm-hmm. Was there a stinging sensation? Yes, there was. Uh, <laughs> ever so slightly. Right. In what I would describe as my cuts. Uh, so, um, like on my heel, there's a little yep. bit of skin that's loose. It mm. hurt a little bit there afterwards. And um, in the areas of my upper thighs that my mum used to describe as my tram lines when she was bathing me as a kid. Yep. <laughs> the chafing area. A little bit there, a little bit sore. So I don't know what it was that was causing that stinginess, but you need to dial that down a bit as well. Okay, fine. I, I, I noted. There was a, a ever so slight yellowy tint to the to the bathtub after I drained the water. Right. Yeah. It looked a bit like I'd pissed myself. Yeah. What there was is that? a yeah. That was um, that was turmeric. Um, not an intentional ingredient. How do you unintentionally put turmeric in something? <laughs> the coconut oil I had had been pre-infused with turmeric, so it was already. Yellow. I see. So you microdosed my coconut oil with turmeric is what you did. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, I hope that doesn't stain my bath forever. I thought it might stain your skin. But otherwise, very good. Uh, right. Toilet paper, fucking disaster. I mean, <laughs> we, we covered this yesterday. I mean, I, I thought maybe moistening it with water would make it a bit less like a Rivita, but it didn't. It just yeah. made it like liquid sick that the cat had brought up. I mean, Lovely. there's no way to do anything with it that is going to come anywhere near my arsehole under See, any uh, reasonable circumstance. You didn't use it? I tried. I moistened it because I thought if I put put it back in some water, maybe it'll be a bit less uh, cardboardy. That's such a stupid thing to do because if you if you have a poo and you need to wipe your bum, you don't get the toilet paper and dip it in water because it's going to disintegrate. You go straight onto your bum. Yeah. You, why but didn't the, you do that? Because it has the consistency of wood. You go in first with that, right, with my stuff the hyper clean you go in and you get out all the 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 sort of rougher bits and then you can use your normal toilet paper afterwards me soaking it in water for a minute was also an experiment to see what would happen if i were to flush it down my drains right and what would happen i'm certain is it would disintegrate back into the sunday times and jeremy clarkson's face would be blocking my toilet for a week and i can't call out a plumber at the moment or i don't want to so i'm sorry i did try blowing my nose on it (laughs) <laughs> and it was as if one were to try blowing one's nose on a coaster. Right. Um, so, I mean, just appalling. And I've actually still got a fragment of it here next to me. It's like all over my house now. Like frag- mm. fragments of grassy crap are everywhere. Onto the sourdough. Mm. Impressive looking bread. Yes. Uh, it was too hard. Now, obviously, that could be the transit. You made it a few days ago. It is exactly because of the transit, because I made two loaves. Yeah. And I kept a loaf here, which I had half of when it was freshly baked, and it was lovely. And then I had the other half yesterday, and mine was also hard. We felt that although it was edible and did have that sourdough sensation, it was a bit lacking in salt. I don't know if you'd agree with that, if you're being a fair critic of your own work. Um, would I agree with that? I mean, there's quite a lot of salt in that. 
There's is a there? tablespoon of salt in there. That shows you how much salt there is in the bread you buy then, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know that even though we both felt, me and my wife, that it was a bit too tough, um, it didn't go to waste. I, I resurrected it last night in a chicken Caesar salad as croutons. That is very inventive. You see, that's what's great about it. Did you uh, did you fry it up in a bit of olive oil or anything like I that? I did. A bit of olive oil, a bit of garlic. Good stuff, yeah. Just tasted of burnt hard stuff. Delicious. Lovely. And then uh, the pasta. Now, we had mm. your completely unidentifiable green goop as one of the accompaniments with our lunchtime meze yesterday. Mm-hmm. The first thing my wife said when I took it out of the packet was, it looks like an innard. Now, she she works as a veterinary nurse, so she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> Jesus. And although I said, no, we, we have to eat this because it's part of the show and I need to report back and I want to be fair to Ollie, mm. the smell, which she said was like fish water. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but I assume like the water what? goldfish smells it swims in. Yeah. Uh, the smell was so strong that she demanded I took it off the table once it had been cooked. Wow. I did as you said. I put some cheese on top, some olive oil and some salt. She yeah. needed it out of the room because it was making her feel physically sick. Right. Yeah, she's really not liking that, is she? I, I mean, listen, in my defence, that is a egg flowery mix that I made that was in a box for maybe 24, 48 hours before it arrived at your house. And yeah. it's been quite warm recently. I nonetheless insisted that I try some so that I can be fair to you. And the best I can say for it, genuinely, is it tasted of nothing. <laughs> Just texture. <laughs> Which is not, I think is complimentary. Ah, because I'm not right, saying it's, yeah. it didn't taste of singing nettles. Mm. It tasted of absolutely nothing. What does singing nettles taste like, Ollie? I'll never know. Well, uh, nothing, apparently. <laughs> Just nothing. Glutinous stock. I don't quite know what to say to that. Because I know that it was delicious before I sent it. Would you be making stinging nettle pasta again? Hey, I, I will. And actually, I went to go and get some stinging nettles yesterday because I'm going to make stinging nettle pesto. But I will kind of agree with you that I'm not sure the nettles really contributed to the flavour of the pasta. But the pasta itself was pretty nice. And you know what? You're getting your greens, Ollie. It's like one of your five a day, probably. Your task was to make a luxury package. <laughs> and I would say, in conclusion, mm. it's about, you've done about two out of five there, which is not bad. Like, actually, genuinely, the chocolate, good. The sourdough and the bath bomb, okay. The pasta and the toilet paper were horseshit. No, I think that's, that's fair. fair. Yeah, no, yeah. okay, yeah, that's fair. And 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 actually, I mean, to create anything luxurious in this current climate, I think I've done pretty well, considering. Okay, time to reveal your challenge for next month. Uh, we've been asking you for ideas, obviously, that Ollie can do at home, modernman.co.uk, and click on the feedback form if you have an idea. This one is from Matthew and Sam who say, we've been using House Party to chat with our friends uh, and playing a lot of the games on there. Lot of Amer- Have you been doing that, Ollie, by the way? No, more Zoom sort of quizzes. Well, I'll tell you the problem with the House Party games, because I've been enjoying House Party as well, but the games on there are all clearly designed for American teenagers, so it's like pop quizzes about people I've never heard of and slang that I would never understand. Uh, and then, like, even in the Pictionary bit, like one of the things I had to draw was egg roll. The hell's an egg and roll? And so I drew a, a boiled egg rolling down a ladder. Apparently, it's like what they call a spring roll in the States. Oh. So anyway, um, Sam and uh, Matthew say, can Ollie create a new game that we can play remotely? Uh, so, like charades or something? Well, I guess they've deliberately left it uh, broad, haven't they? So, like, yeah, you could create a parlor game that people can play over video conferencing, but I suppose I would like to see you create something that's a bit bigger than that. We'd like you to take things up to the next level, the, the toilet paper equivalent, you know. <laughs> maybe 
I mean, we're we're the modern man. We're about you know maybe it's about designing a new app or something using AR. Oh my god! Or the god. revival of the board game. I don't know. I'm locked in my house with some cushions surrounding my my windows. How the hell am I going to develop a app? Well, J.K. Rowling created Harry Potter under uh, more constrained circumstances with a pen. With a pen. That's your challenge for the month. Um, we look forward to seeing you rise to it. Before we uh, say goodbye, Ollie, though, we must thank our sponsors, Blue Microphones. Yes, I love this thing. It is amazing. Mine is now covered in flour, obviously, but um, otherwise their Yeti X model is a delight to behold, as we were discussing last time, kind of retro 1950s look. A delight to listen to, as you can hear. Yes, they're very nice to listen to. And they're plug and play, right? Shove it in the back of your computer, you're away. Easier than making your own toilet paper. Um, So whether you're planning on starting your own podcast or you're just doing a lot of conference calls at the moment, it is a really superb quality microphone for only £159, folks. Uh, Links on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. And thanks again to them. Thanks, Ollie. See you next time. Uh, Right, next up is our annual catch-up with the dads. But first, it's time for our record of the month. Uh, And it's a proper summer belter as well. Uh, Something a little bit funky for you from the Magic Gang. The track is called Take Back the Track and it's available to stream now. If you usually listen to this show on your commute, but are now using the sound of my voice in your headphones to block out the noise of a screaming child or two, the chances are you are a fellow parent in lockdown. Uh, I know how you feel. I've got a couple of kids at home. And this period of time is presenting all manner of challenges. So it seemed like a very good moment to reunite remotely, of course, uh, with my friends Tom Price and Stuart Goldsmith, both of whom are comedians, both of whom are fellow podcasters, but more importantly, both of whom, like me, fathered a child in 2015. And we've been comparing notes about our boys, who are now four years old, ever since. This time I started by asking Tom how being stuck at home with his wife and kids was going. I am really enjoying this. Now, obviously, I have to sort of put about an hour of caveats in saying I know by the end of this I will be losing my mind but so far I am loving it we have I have two boys to to remind you of my uh, situation I've got a four-year-old like you guys and the pre-existing condition who is now seven (laughs) and he they've just been an absolute joy i don't know what is going on here i you know and there's a bit there's bigger questions here about how fast we're and I, the questions that everyone's talking about how fast we're leading our lives how full we're we're making our kids lives and how little time we get with them but so far touch wood their behavior has been really good they're really happy because their lives aren't ever full they've just got us they've just got unfettered access to us oh, there's been rocky moments already and i'm sure the rocky moments will increase but so far ollie and Stu, it's been delightful uh Stu, are you finding it as delightful or are you finding it difficult 
I think I'm finding it difficult at the moment, but not in a related to the pandemic way. In terms of the lockdown, we are managing. I am doing lots of work online to try and... Obviously, I'm a a stand-up comedian, so my gig diary exploded. So suddenly I don't have a job. So I'm trying to create jobs to do online. So my wife is doing the lion's share of the parenting, and brilliantly. And she is... I'm always marvelling at how much she gets done. I'm struggling a bit with with the general parenting... Like, particularly, I have a four-year-old boy and a year-and-a-half-year-old girl. And the boy has got sort of... not. I don't think he's got temper issues. He's just got a temper with me. And I'm finding that very hard. Now, having said all of that, I totally agree with Tom that, like, I'm suddenly not spending hours and hours and hours and, and like, three days away on the... You know, the actual time to be here and be with my family is fantastic and is yeah. and is making me really happy and it's giving me it's making me feel very treacherous about my job because when everything goes back to normal assuming it does i'm going to want to be away far less than i already did which yes. was not that much <laughs> you know i didn't want to be away and now i really really don't want to be away Stuart, what have you actually said to the older one to the boy what have you said to him about the current situation have you explained uh, it in our in our household that's a good question we call it the boring virus <laughs> which i i branded it early on as the boring virus to try and take any kind of fear out of it he understands what being poorly is he sort of vaguely has an idea he has we were looking this morning he wrote his plan to defeat the virus and it's a 14 step plan and uh it but it doesn't work when you end, say he realized. wrote He's he's not able to write. Oh, he, so no, he dictates. Yet. We do a lot. Of, we do a lot of things where he dictates stuff. Yeah. We did a like A.A. Gill. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, we did a, a Christmas list uh, two mornings ago with fourteen items on it, and they were all priceless. They were things like um, a purple sun made of yolk and a cloud, <laughs> a cloud that poos lightning. Just really like really fun stuff. And we we just we've really got him onto this track. He's writing letters to friends. Obviously, he's dictating them. He is now starting to to write and make letter shapes and sort of copy letters and stuff. But no, so we we, we do lots and lots of imaginative play and. And um, uh, so he does a lot of, uh, you know, he came up with a plan to defeat the virus, but the plan was stymied in the end because uh, we realised, he realised quite late on in the creation of the plan that the virus was see-through and invisible. Hmm. So uh, he, uh, a lot of his plans, like to do with catching it and hitting it with stuff, wouldn't work. He understands that there is a thing going on and it's a special time and we need to be safe and we need to be careful and we can't see our friends. Mm. But he's coping with that in a, in a way that <laughs> suggests he shares his mother's resilience. We were in the park yesterday and we had one of those accidental nearly a play dates and uh, we ran into two separate groups, like a mum and two kids and another mum and one kid. And we know mm. these guys. And I was like, mate, it's your friends. And he said, oh, hi, guys. Daddy, can we go now? And I was like, mm. oh. Oh, cool. You, you don't you don't need we, we've, we've got this big kind of it's going to what if it sends him weird or isolated or excluded or stuff? He's just not noticing it at all. Doesn't give a monkey's. What about your older one, Tom? Because he's what, seven now? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, I mean, it's just they're just fine. I think we're very lucky because I think if they're a bit older, I think by the time they get to 10, 11, 12, they become so much more social. I just think it comes back to what I was saying before about how over cluttered, not that friends are cl- life clutter necessarily, but I think activities are life clutter. And I think there's been so much stuff every day after school, clubs, football, blah, 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 so certainly with the seven year old, less so with the four year old. And all that stripped away. And actually, I think he's so happy to be home. There's still a novelty mm. that's he's enjoying that. Give it a couple of weeks, and I think we'll be looking at a different story. But at the moment, he, he's not freaked out by it. He's not scared about it. You know, we've sort of sold it as a, we have to do this, we have to stay at home. And, and 
you know, we're very lucky they get on really well. I mean, right now, my wife's out walking the dog and the boys are downstairs uh, playing and and they're just playing together. And there's a four, three and a half year gap. So basically, my eldest son is bringing up my youngest, hence the <laughs> smugness. And I apologise for the smugness. So, uh, yeah, at the moment, that you know, they're not freaked out by the, the, the stuff that's going on. But I'm very conscious that we've got a long way to go. So we'll, we'll see what that's we get to. Really, that's really in my mind as well. I feel like we're, we're doing great now. But yeah. in a month... Yeah, yeah, right. Month, How's this going to affect them? This? How's this going to affect their personalities? You right. Know, like, well, yeah. let's talk about that because I, I agree in terms of my experiences as well. Like my four-year-old is highly adaptable, and I'm reminded of all those things that you read and hear about kids who grow up in war zones, where obviously the situation is far more intense than just having to stay at home. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you you know that they're adaptable. Children are adaptable. They will go off, you know, and be evacuated to someone else's house and potentially be all right with that. Yeah, but sure. there are long-term impacts to all these things, and you just kind of think. He's only four, but this kind of existential sense that the sickness can come and claim you at some point without warning. Well, hang on. How have you been selling it to him, Ollie? That just makes me terrified. What have you told him? Well, exactly as it is. We've said, you know, we can't do this today because of the sickness. That's what he calls it. He calls it the sickness. That does sound really foreboding, doesn't it? That's much more (laughs) Walking Dead than the boring virus. (laughs) It's more like, yeah, sci-fi. It's the sickness child, capital S. (laughs) We've just been honest with him, but like softly. But but I just think it's just like a general background anxiety that the whole country is having, obviously, that I suppose yeah. when children have it, you just wonder what that long-term impact will, will be. Every so often, my son will say something that makes us worry that he's worried, and then we'll realise that he isn't. Like yesterday at bedtime, he said, um, everyone's going to die. And I said, oh, are we? Uh, well, everyone. And he said, yeah, everyone's going to die in a week. My invisible friend told me. And I'm like, OK. And how do you feel about that? And he said, yeah, it's good. There'll be some peace and quiet. And I'm like, OK, then. <laughs> like, I, And I just wanted to send him off to bed going, I don't think that's going to happen. It hasn't happened before. And I don't think it's going to happen next week. And why don't we talk about it again in a week? And we'll see if your invisible friend was right. But I don't think so. I mean, that underlines the difference in our parenting because he said everyone's going to die. And you said, really? And I genuinely, I would say, yep, that's right. (laughs) One day we all will die. You mentioned an invisible friend, Stuart. When did that start? Because Harvey's got one of those as well. He's called Aww. Honey. Um, and he does the naughty stuff, basically. So when, when Harvey does something that he knows is naughty, it's because Honey told him to do it. Is that how, how your boy has invented this uh, uh, grudge? No, he, no, my son's invisible friend uh, doesn't have a name. He's just called the invisible... Oh, no, he is. <laughs> Last night we discovered his name. or he, I don't uh-huh. think it's a permanent name. But if we imagine that my son is called Boutros, um, <laughs> my son's invisible friend is called Wootros. So it's kind of his okay. name with a, with a tweak to it. Oh, or he sometimes, he sometimes will blame things... He will blame behaviour that he has done on fake Boutros. He'll say, right. oh, that wasn't me that did that. That was fake yeah. Boutros. And yeah. I say, are you fake Boutros now? And he'll say, no, no, I'm real Boutros again now. And I'm like, well, we might still need to talk about what fake Boutros did. And he'll be like, no, we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> you know? Okay. So there's a bit of a kind of get out clause there. Um, I think we, yeah, he doesn't directly blame his invisible friend for stuff. Oh, you like, don't you know, hear what? him talking him to him then? Um, 
No, no. I hear him talking to himself. We had a lovely outdoor parky thing yesterday where my son was kind of scrabbling and crawling underneath brambles and stuff in one of those kind of like the hedge adjacent to a path that's got years of children scrambling under the hedge has created a little network of tunnels. One of those sort of things. It's the first time I've really seen him interact with one of those. And I could hear him saying to himself, almost like a drill sergeant, don't get hurt. You don't get hurt. Don't get hurt on the brambles. You won't get hurt on the brambles. So he wasn't kind of asking for advice or, you know, he was just telling him, you know, he talks to himself in that way. He says, what are you going to do now? This isn't fair. Stuff like that. But um, he I think that's say. healthy, don't you, Tom? Yeah, it's a, I think it's, that's okay. It's them, it's it, imaginary friends is the beginning of independence, isn't it? That's their way of that's their stabilizers for beginning to be by themselves and how they how they are. That's a nice idea with yeah. themselves. I think. I think um, we never really had imaginary friends with either. They're both. I tell you what's interesting about the elder one. He's regressing at the moment in a beautiful, yeah, gorgeous same. way. Like there is no being driven on by the herd of daily nursery or daily school activity. What's the next cool thing? What else are you doing? What are we looking to do? Mm. He's sitting back and he's enjoying himself. Like he's so Wilfred's seven and he hasn't picked up his guys. You know, his He Man, not He Man. Fucking hell, is a nineteen eighties callback for for weeks. And the last, you can call it He Man. He Man. Thanks, guys. That's because that's why I, I still call his Hot Wheels micro machines because they are fucking micro machines. Like they're the <laughs> yeah, same quite toy. Right. Quite right. Yeah. Uh, and it's just it's been divine to watch him do it. And the younger one, Edmund, do it as well they really into their guys and they play by themselves alongside each other and they've just got whole worlds the army guys coming here and get over here guys and they get into it for like for ages and it's again because everything else has just been turned down a bit they're just making do they're adapting to what they've got and it's it's you know it's a really feels like a really positive thing what's the toy that you have to feign interest in he hands you a hulk and he's got a hulk as well Mm. and he goes look at me our big hulk i do a flip and then there's a flip can you do a front flip no, yeah. Oh, I can do a front flip, and it's basically that for an hour. Honestly, I, mean, I say that, an hour. Yeah. It's six minutes, but it feels mm. like an hour. Do you get the things to it where there's like a ritual that you've invented one day to keep them amused, and because they want it again and again a year later, you're like, why did I make this rod for my back? Like the biggest issue for me is a sort of a physically getting off my ass and joining in in yes. a way that I'm that I should be yeah. because the games themselves are fun we've got lots of fun games we play space police he jumps around the place I put a blanket over my head and I do a sort of Obi-Wan Kenobi I do an Alec Aww. Guinness voice of going like you have been recruited for the space police <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and if you go straight with, to 10 the first time you do it you've always got to go to 10 yeah, that's, that's yes. exactly right so that's exactly true right. I, I stand by it because he sh- I should be going to 10 I should be going yeah. to 10 every time and sometimes I am guilty of like inventing games that involve me lying down you know I'm like yeah. oh, I'm gonna fall in this hole yeah. I'm trapped in this hole can you rescue me and he'll just stand there with his hands on his hips and be like no daddy you're I know not what you're trapped doing. in the hole you're not the space police <laughs> I exactly see you. I he see sees you. through it he sees through it you have your headline acts and you, you know you, you can't have the killers all the time guys you know what I mean it's 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 quarter to eight in the morning the, the killers aren't on until 5pm what do you do and it's that thing of, of finding things to keep bumbling along with this is the problem so I have, I have a game called Patrol where I put a suite on each of their pillows and they start, they start on the sofa downstairs then they've got to get upstairs to the suite and then get back downstairs while I'm on patrol and if I it's like uh, Grandmother's Footsteps if I see them moving that's have, so great they have to go back to the sofa right it's a great Mate, game I'm playing that today that's Dude, great it's wicked and they love it they they go crazy because of course you see them move and you say, and what's great about it is that you can make that game last like five minutes and then before you know it you've got a kid on the sofa with a lolly watching telly 
bingo. And they feel like yes, they've played and with the me. patrol, the, gar- the gatekeeper, the patroller, you can, can make a cup of tea. stand in one space. Oh, dude. <laughs> you don't need to patrol that I'm, far. I am patrolling the kettle area <laughs> sit, heavily. Sit in a little hut outside your house with the racing <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Man. But don't you so, find yeah. that with all these activities and all these things, to populate a day, we are looking at hours and hours and hours with our children, to populate a day, you need 15 of those things a day. Do you know yes. what I mean? So, you, so is it a matter, mm-hmm. do we have to, we, we can't provide, we can't put it upon ourselves to provide that constantly because we'll all go mad. So therefore mm-hmm. we have to adjust our kids and make them understand that, well, now we're going to have a bit of quiet. So you kind of measure their days out a bit. Do you know what I mean? In terms of play. Or adjust the tasks that you're doing anyway so that they seem like games. I mean, yes. something I did just yesterday was literally sort out my odd sock drawer. Um, yeah. Oh, that is... He loved it. Great idea. It was I need to do really that. fun. It really wasn't that much different to some of the Orchard Toys games that you buy in Waterstones. I mean, basically, I got 20 of my odd socks that have piled up, and he had to match up the ones that he could see were colour-coordinated. We had a good old rummage through the washing basket. That I mean, is was such <laughs> an elegant solution, Ollie. That's Mate. incredible. We, we did one. We were digging in the garden, and I was basically sieving the soil because we are going to make a little <laughs> vegetable patch. Yeah. So whilst I'm sieving the soil, a bit of soil that I've already sieved has got tiny little stones in it. So I just asked him to collect them. And so he vaguely did that, but he mostly just did random digging. Every so often he'd find a worm and we'd dig a little hole and he'd put the worm in and cover it up and stuff. Mm. And And it just, we had really good daddy son time mm. getting on with from my point of view actually a job to, to do from yeah. his point of view some noodling around but it felt like work we decided uh, we gave ourselves names i was king gardener and he was princess gardener <laughs> and uh, it was just really good hangout time it reminded me weirdly of um like i'm very close to my younger brother but we get on each other's nerves a lot and some of the best time we've had as adults is, you know, back before I had kids, playing like an online video game, playing Gears of War or something, mm. because it's a thing that you can do with, you know, we were kind of connected via Wi-Fi in you know, 100 miles apart. But because we're busy doing a thing, you get actual hangout time yeah. rather mm. than pressured let's have a chat time. And it had a similar sort of flavour yes. to it. I was digging, he was doing his little stone collecting thing, and we ended up just having some nice chat for an hour. Really Le- occupied. Leaf collecting, by the way, is another good one to do in the autumn. Oh, mm. good. Mm. Especially yes. if you buy them a little wheelbarrow of their own. Bitcoin mining. That's a good one. <laughs> the first time we're in a position where all three of us can talk about having two kids by the way actually on on the birth of uh, toby who is the now seven month old i would say obviously it wasn't me pushing it out but i would highly recommend the elective cesarean by comparison (laughs) i'll remember that to the the (laughs) traditional vaginal birth uh, it Mm. was both to witness and to experience i understand obviously it comes with complications but I mean, Christ, it was over in five minutes. Wow. We were chatting to the anaesthetist and then we had a baby. Like, it's much better. <laughs> no wonder they try and talk everyone out of it because it obviously is so resource intensive, but it's just clearly much better. Like science has created something that's much better than a traditional birth. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, You're going to get emails. I know. I know. And I'm sure it does terrible things to people's tummies and all sorts of stuff. But I mean, anyway, the thing that resonated with me listening back to our last edition of this, Stuart, was at that point yeah. your baby girl was just slightly younger than my baby boy is now. And mm. you were saying, very honestly, um, I don't really know this kid yet. I'm looking forward to seeing what they're like in 18 months' time because then I'll know what they're like. But yes. at the moment, I love this thing with all my heart, but I don't really know them. And sure. that really resonated with me now because I really love my seven-month-old, but when I compare it to the four-year-old, like mm. I don't yeah. have a sense of his character. And sure. 
there's this awful thing that people never say, which is, you know, if, if I had to choose, I have more of a bond, obviously, with my four-year-old right now. That's not something Look, I'd ever I want the seven-month-old to know. I've just known him longer. Yeah. I've just known him longer. But does it change? Of course it does. Yes, of course it does. And don't say out loud to your partner, um, I just I just can't wait to have a relationship with them. Because they've carried it for nine months, so it's different already. It's completely different. Keep it to yourself <laughs> because it doesn't help anyone to say it out loud. It helps you. But what your partner needs is your is the the security of your undying love and excitement about that baby. And if you don't feel it completely now, don't worry, you will. Don't point it out. Very reassuring. Thank you. Uh, Tom, something that I think is probably worth clarifying as well, because going right back to the beginnings of these conversations when you always had two when we were recording these yeah. or were about to have your second. Yeah. There was an element from you of kind of a, a slight smugness. Of course, that's why it's what <laughs> yeah. I do. That's my stock in trade, you're welcome. <laughs> of kind of like, just wait till you have two. Like your problems with one baby, just wait till you have two. Yeah. And now I've got two. I think that's worth clarifying for people that are listening to this that maybe have one and are worried about having a second one because they're worried it's going to be very stressful or whatever. I think the wait till you have two thing is a little bit overdone at the baby stage because babies do sleep all day and the second time you're doing it, you think what was so difficult about this the first time, the difficulty is managing the first one. Exactly. By the time you've got the context of the first child, the second one is a doddle, but it is absolutely, your your focus is not on looking after the second one. It is so true. It's on, Jesus Christ, how do I manage the first one? How do I make the first one understand how everything has changed? And how on earth do I have the concentration to follow the first one, the existing child, uh, into the sitting room who, you know, the kid's two years old and they're toddling off towards the bins to do the game where they take everything out of the bin. And you're like, great, I've got to... <laughs> Go over there now, but the mother, she's out for a bit, and I'm just in charge of both of them. And so now he's he's really going to get a roasting, whereas before he always got, darling, no, the bins, we'll do that game later when we do it with the recycling, not with the actual fucking bin with the, you know, crapping food in there. Um, that what was what was a very reasonable modern, hey guys, dad approach before becomes, get no, right. get off it. You cannot touch. Yes. Because you're stressed. So your stress levels, you're that much more ready to blow when you've got the second kid. So it, it's not about the actual experience of looking after the kid, it's about dealing with your temper and your focus it's it's multitasking man it's multitasking that ultimate male stereotype which i loathe but it's true to to have these two plates spinning at the same time that have very different requirements i'm lucky now that the boys requirements are almost identical now but but then they are they're like different species and also stuart you turn into dad more of the time dad is a part that you play with the first one some of the time and then when they're asleep you're back to being husband friend whatever whereas there's just more dad time i think that's beautifully put ollie i totally agree with you yes on the first one dad is a part that you play and by the time you have a second one you are dad mm. you know i find myself doing incredibly dad things i you know sort of i don't want to be sort of sound trite about it but i understand some of those things now from a different perspective i understand why my dad used to put spicy sauce on all of his food so that the kids can't have any of it <laughs> like that's why that's a thing right and also cooking i don't know if you find this tom like i'm not i'm not naturally someone who loves cooking really but because it's a thing that's acceptable in the dad repertoire mm. you know to make tea that then becomes something that I deliberately take a little bit more time over and put more pleasure into for myself because it's a task I have to do in my dad role yeah. that I can get something it's, out of. At this point, I'd love to say totally, but actually I don't really agree. I, Whenever I cook for the kids, I just sort of, I do nuggets and waffles and beans and that sort of stodge. And then we all sit around the Alexa and watch Teen Titans Go together. So, you know, <laughs> just sort of get through that. 
kids are all going to school in September, uh, if life returns to normal. Are they ready? Do you think a four-year-old should be going to school five days a week? Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> I mean, listen, again, I've, I, you know, I've seen it already with the eldest, and I had all these worries with, with the eldest, but the reception is so... It's playgroup. It's not like they they are not hot-housed into <laughs> into writing essays. You know, they, they it's all free-flow play. They, they mix, they run around. It's very unstructured. It's all sitting on the carpet. Good stuff gets learnt, but... But yeah, I, I think they're really ready for it. I think my youngest definitely ready for it, and it's um, uh, it, it, it helps that he's seen his brother do it. It helps that his nursery is next door to the school. It's literally one door along, so he's he's seen it through the playground. He's seen them in reception, so he's not worried about it. He's got a group of friends. Um, it, it was amazing when when my eldest went. He didn't have that group of friends, uh, but he, they 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 made friends instantly. And you meet loads of other parents as well. It's a really uh, primary school has just been amongst the happiest years of my life. Not when I went, but when my kids went, definitely. End of an era, though, isn't it, Stuart? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I th- I think I'm 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 worried about school. I didn't like school. I don't remember much of kind of primary school. I guess it was fine, but I mostly remember the sort of awful embarrassing bits and the kind of it's I mean I'm sure this doesn't go for primary but in life for boys it's a jungle and it's uh I remember a lot of fear seeing bullying and not I was never bullied myself but I kind of did a big head job on myself and spent a lot of it worried and anxious and when I see other kids being boisterous, particularly kids who are either naturally bigger or have older brothers who are used to real rough and tumble getting pushed around in the in the mm-hmm. sand pit, you know, we're still talking very young age kids. But I, I am so grateful that my son has got a bit of a mean streak <laughs> because um, I, I think I was very, very soft. I'm very sensitive, very emotionally soft. And I think... When I think of school, I think of all the problems that my son could have at school. And it scares me. And even just talking, when you got into talking about school, I could feel my back go a bit like, oh, here we go. I'm, I'm worried about it. And my, my biggest challenge is to make sure I don't convey any of that to my son. Yeah. Because I want him to think it's this wonderful playgroup that all his friends are going to. And it's, and it's an incredibly positive thing. At the same time, I want him to start doing some martial arts when he's old enough. Because I want him to feel... F- I want genuinely. I want him to feel physically empowered. I don't want him to beat people up, but I want him to be to have the experience, like you do in a martial arts class, of of kind of having a sparring partner and going. They're going to try and get me, and I'm going to try and get them. And to know that to become accustomed to that, and know that that needn't be a thing you have to be frightened of. I completely hear you, Stu. I really do, and I felt all of those things with Wilfred. I, I I found school very intimidating. I was I saw a lot of bullying and stuff, and I went to a pretty nice school, and it happens, but it's changed so much that is what you're going to realize and hopefully there's a decent school and and most we're lucky enough now that most primary schools are really good it's changed beyond all recognition the way that the teachers deal with things like bullying is certainly in my experience there's been a bit of it in in the in my eldest class and they're amazing it's so much more um uh rounded and and caring and gentler and all the things you would want so the first thing is i'd be don't get too worried about it because i had all those worries and actually within two weeks i was like oh my god this is great it's amazing can 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 i ask you tom just about not specifically about bullying but in terms of the way in which children boys in particular socialize what i've seen with my uh with relatives kids 
and friends kids is that there's a little bit my concern is is less to do with bullying really and more to do with either you're into football or you're into well, that Fortnite. was right and if you're not into football or Fortnite, you don't you can't speak the languages I mean, I get that now. If a taxi driver says, what team do you support? And I'm like, mm. literally cowed and beat out of bloody mindedness. Like, I couldn't give a toss. And if, if my son isn't into football and he isn't into Fortnite or whatever the Fortnite du jour is, yeah. then can he speak the language? Can he, you know, is your, is your eldest into either of those things or some other thing that allows him access to a very prevalent tribe? First of all, next time I go to a restaurant when all this is over, I'm going to order the Fortnite du jour. That's the first thing I want. <laughs> <laughs> the skin is very expensive. <laughs> yeah, fucking skin. Um, I, I, you know, yeah, Wilfred is a extremely good footballer so that has solved sure. a lot of problems. I'm now and, discounting right, no, exactly yeah, and you're right <laughs> yeah. but this is the thing well I'm fine because my kid likes football so this is the thing my uh, mate of mine he uh, Wilfred's best mate uh, is the youngest of three boys and the dad of those three boys said to me get him into football and I was like yeah I'm not really that bothered about football I quite like supporting Liverpool but it's not a big deal for me and he was like get him into football and Wolf's really good at it and it means that he has this this currency and this that means that he's comfortable within himself because he knows he's good at football so it has helped him so so that has helped massively having said that I've realized that makes me very lucky my second one definitely not that my second child definitely much more like me sort of angry potato that's his approach to life and so it's gonna be tricky so I do feel nerves about him going <clears throat> to primary school which I didn't feel with my eldest but at the same time the the systems they've got in place the way it's set up the way these teachers they're amazing they care so much they write these reports but what about you at them. home Tom because I mean it's all very well saying the teachers deal with it yeah. the bottom line of all this is kids can be cunts yeah. when that happens how do you explain that without using the word I just used <laughs> to your five year old um, how do you say well this is why that you know you want some sort of junior school version of they're saying that because they've got other problems in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you say that to a five-year-old? So, um, the the luckily, uh, there's only been a, like, three occasions where where my eldest has, has had this problem with someone saying something nasty about him. And you know what you do? You just offer sympathy, not a solution. You say, first of all, you say, have you told the grown-up? I've told the teacher. Okay, great. So you note that. And if it continues, you go back to the grown-up. Luckily, it's never continued. And then you say, oh, that's really bad, mate. Oh, God, that's, I'm really sorry. Why did they say it? So how did you feel? Like, you just offer sympathy. You know what I mean? How do you deal with someone tweeting you that your podcast is shit? You, you have to have your systems. Teach your kids to have their systems as well. This is all not physical stuff. If it gets physical, which, touch wood, hasn't happened. I mean, it just, it just hasn't happened. It's not happened at school with, with him at all but with the emotional things and people saying words use your arm it's it felt it's felt like it's worked because it extinguishes it you have to extinguish the worry i think still to come more dad chat with me tom and Stu, in which we answer your questions of parenting discipline potty training and our kids tv nightmares that's up next after this This episode of The Modern Man is sponsored by Beer 52, raising a glass to dads doing their best to raise children since 2013. They're not just for the poppers and pappers, of course. I recently ordered a selection and was really impressed by a coffee milk stout that was almost like a beer version of an espresso martini, an intriguing Earl Grey IPA and an amazing salted licorice raspberry sour. 
I discovered new favourites amongst drinks I'd never encountered before, and exploring the goodies felt like a real treat during lockdown, especially as the artwork on some of the cans and bottles is genuinely beautiful. They'd make a really good gift. Give their service a whirl yourself with eight completely free beers and a snack and a magazine delivered to your home now. You just pay the postage of £5.95. Visit our new URL for 2020, beer52.com forward slash modern. That's the word beer, the number five, the number two, dot com forward slash modern. It's a free trial, so it becomes a subscription if you don't cancel, but it's well worth staying on as a member, especially as they make everything super flexible and you can tailor your selections to suit your tastes or pause your payments at any time if you need. That's beer52.com slash modern. For eight free beers and some luscious extras, just pay for the post. Bottoms up. Okay, we asked you guys to send us some questions that we could answer uh, on uh, our expertise in the realm of fatherhood. Dan has been in touch and says, which kids' TV show do you hate the most and why? Blaze. Yeah. Oh, what? Blaze Blaze is brilliant. No, I think Blaze is creepy. Blaze, when they try to do the thing where they involve the child at home by, you know, Blaze will suddenly look at the camera and go, do you think we should jump over this bridge? And then he'll just kind of bounce up and down on the spot. When you see a ratchet, say ratchet. (laughs) He loves It, it creeps me out i don't like mechanical animals as a rule i'm not a fan of mechanical animals definitely agree with you on that it's amazing i mean when we were kids obviously there was thomas the tank engine so people had cynically said okay here's an entertainment probably mainly aimed at boys let's take a a machine and put a face on it um but that has now really i mean that trend there's not a machine you can think of that doesn't have a face on it somewhere (laughs) on the internet so there's Stinky and Dirty. Yeah. Have you seen that one yet on Amazon? No. Which is no, like no. a it's a bin truck basically. Dino Trucks is the most cynical mashup. Dino ever. Trucks is absolutely mental, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, try that. Good. Looks good. Great, great branding. Yeah. Not for me. Not for me. And so, and listen to me. I, I don't want to be hacking this observation, but Paw Patrol does my head in. It jumped the shark in series two because <laughs> now they're, they're like they're mer pups. Okay, sure. For these next three episodes, the pups are all mermaids. What? Um, it, it, they 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 do they, they do one of the cardinal sins, which is that they upgrade the show in order to sell more toys. So now they've got new costumes on, so they can sell more toys, which always drives me nuts. But also the gender politics politics of it are rubbish. They, well, there are no one girls. Female character Two. Sky. They introduced yeah. Everest, but you never get a Sky and Everest episode. So it's right. always like there's only ever one girl, mm. and it's just it's cynical. And it's tedious, but what does make me laugh is the fact that the farmer, although he has a farmer accent, he's clearly an American farmer with a barn yeah. and a John Deere yeah, cap. With the, right. with the red barn, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but that I, I think it's just such a shame, given how successful Paw Patrol is, that it is it, that it's it's such a missed it's opportunity. Just, also, rah uh, rah, the noisy lion that annoys me. Rah rah. You are mainly because it's on a uh, what it was on when we used to watch it at the CBBS at about five past six. So it was a real, mm-hmm. it was a real. Oh Jesus Christ! And I've already been up since about half five usually. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So by the time you get to it, it's just a marker that you're losing your mind. Um, right. So that was a bad. Yeah, and there's still there's still fifty minutes to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, not yeah, like. Exactly. You know, if the TV show that starts at 10 to 7 comes on, you're like, yes, 10 minutes to exactly. go. Exactly. And you really realise yeah. as a parent, the difference between 5 to 6 and 5 past 6 is, it's yeah. a whole day, isn't it? It's a whole day. <clears throat> if I'm up at 5 to 6, that's it. 
I'm ruined for the day. But five past six, I'm going to survive this. Um, <laughs> I remember actually when I used to work at ITV, they had ITV on in the background all day long yeah. in the office. And when I heard the Emmerdale theme, tune, yes. that was always like, I've been in the office too long today. <laughs> I need to leave now. So I have a physical reaction yeah, exactly. to that as well. Exactly. <laughs> the ones that I hate are the ones where, as far as I can see, there is no entertainment value and no educational value. But for some reason, he's bizarrely compelled to watch them. I guess mm-hmm. things like the Baby Shark song was like the example the whole world understood with regard to this. But sure. there, there are ones that are on Amazon Prime, which are like an hour of trucks going into a car wash, not saying anything, and then coming out slightly cleaner than before and then doing it again. Jeez. And he's like hypnotized by it. And I allow him to watch it occasionally because I think let, I him, think- let him, you know, enjoy some crap. But it is such shit. That I feel bad yes. putting it on. I think the word hypnotised is really important there because just as uh, the apps that we use and the video games on your phone that are aimed at adults, they are designed in a lab by scientists to take advantage of your dopamine addiction. I think there is an awful lot of content for children which is based on hypnotising children. Yeah. So simply the fact that, oh, this is testing very positive because they want to see it again. They don't want to see it again for a good reason. They want to see it again because it's hypnotised them and it's affecting their, their brain chemistry. Uh, Ellie has been in touch as well she says i would welcome any tips on potty training we've got a two and a half year old boy who is aware of when he's going and needs to go but appears to be afraid of the potty Um, at this point Stuart, i want to thank you for your recommendation last time of that book oh crap which we did use after i interviewed you to to train harvey and it worked the whole it's mad that someone's managed to write a proper book like 12 chapters about how to take a shit but it does work, and I would <laughs> recommend that. And this afraid of the potty thing, as far as I remember from the philosophy of that book, it was kind of like, don't do the thing that everyone does, which we'd been doing, because instinctively it feels like the right thing to do, of buying a potty, leaving it around, and letting him feel comfortable with it so that he sees it, mm-hmm. knows what it is, and then one day sits on it, because that never happens. Mm. Her thing was like, no, diarise the date that he is not going to any longer be wearing nappies. And from that date, you say to him, in three weeks' time, you're not going to be wearing nappies. In two weeks' time, you're not going to be wearing nappies. In one week's time, we're throwing your nappies away. And those are the three days you're going to learn to use it. And that's when you bring out the potty. So there's no time for them to be afraid of the potty. Yeah, but what do you do if when you bring out the potty, they're then scared of the potty? As part of the psychological preparation during that build-up period, you try and deal with those qualms, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Well, give, them, give them a sneak I mean, bit. You can do the thing where you're like, it's coming out in three weeks. Would you like to have a little look? If you're really good, I'll let you have a look at it. Or tying it into an anniversary. So it really is that thing of like, big boys use a potty. Mm. And in three weeks' time, you're going to be three weeks older. Like, we do a lot of stuff tied into Harvey's birthday. Like, he had, you know, one of those safety rails on the bed to stop them rolling out of bed? Yeah. He had one of those and, until he was four. And he was too old. Like, he didn't need it after the age of three and a half. But I couldn't just take it away one night. So what I said to him for six months <laughs> was, yeah, it's your birthday in January. And you know what happens when you turn four? You don't need your bed rail oh anymore. And then he yeah. basically took it off himself on his uh, fourth uh, birthday. Yeah, great work. Ours has still got his. Ours has still got his. Every night he's sleeping with his head locked into it as well. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> so on your twelfth birthday, yeah, exactly. <laughs> every time to take away the rail. Have we have we answered Ellie's question? Is it Ellie who texted? It, it is Ellie. Yeah. Do you have anything else um, on potty training, Tom? I, you know, it's one of those things where you we bumbled through it on both occasions and we had nightmares with both of them. I think that ultimately you can't do it with them until they're ready to do it. And if they are scared of it, just switch it off for a week and just say, okay, fine, don't bother doing it. And and I really remember that feeling of them both 
both of them were really scared of doing it. It's a really scary thing for mm. a two-year-old or a two-and-a-half-year-old to let all that gubbins fall out. And they're so used to the comfort of it being in their nappy. Mm. One thing we did do, which was quite nice, was we made, we'd said, if you want to, you can just sit on the potty and still have your nappy on. So that probably goes against all expert advice, but it worked, worked quite well for us. They'd sit in the potty and do their business, and it was still in the nappy where it was safe. And then we'd sort of change their nappy just near the potty, and eventually that one day developed into, actually, I'm going to do it without the potty, without the nappy on. So that worked for us, but I just, yeah, it's a tricky time. I hope that helps, Ellie. And finally, this is in from Ben, who says, uh, what are your latest techniques for dealing with naughty behaviour? Tom, you're the expert on this. (laughs) One of Wilfred's friends said to me the other day, we're not at school when I was trying to tell him off. So I was like, "Mm, shit, fair point. You've just got to follow through with your threats. It comes back to that. Mm. So we've had real problems with our eldest. We got him a Nintendo Switch, which I regret getting for him. In fact, uh, Stu, the stuff you were saying about dopamine really resonated. And he he got incredibly addicted to it very, very quickly and was obsessed with it. And it was like, oh, great, it's useful. He's sitting down quietly for an hour. And actually, his personality started to change. And I said, if you do one more thing, and then that evening he threw a cushion at me so hard that the zip on the cushion hit my face. And it really, like, my child really hurt me on purpose and that was the first time that's happened and that happened two weeks ago and he hasn't seen the switch since and nor will he in the near future so follow through on your threats whatever they are fucking do them i will make the the threats manageable for that reason don't say there's no telly tonight say there's no paw patrol tonight so they still sit in front of the telly and get off your uh, your case (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah yeah Stuart, your tips um so i i i kind of go emotionally i tell my son that uh if he's going to keep behaving like this i'll be really upset and I'll be disappointed. <laughs> that's that's so you. I mean, rather than get angry, I feel a lot of anger and I try very hard to not show that anger. Don't always yeah. manage it, but I, feel, I try very hard not to fit, not to, to reveal that. I just say, well, now I'm, I'm, you've really upset me. That makes me really sad. And I'll leave the room. And then nine times out of 10, he will, within five minutes, it's a bit of a nail biting game of chicken. Within five minutes, he'll sneak in and he'll come up to me and he'll whisper, sorry. Oh, and I go, that's and I good. Give him a big cuddle. And what was lovely, actually, he had a real meltdown recently. Then he came down. His mum actually talked to him in the meantime because it was like an hour till he came and apologised. But when he apologised, he came in and he apologised in real detail and said, "You were doing this, and I was doing that, and I felt like this." And I said, "I understand," and gave him a big cuddle. And that felt like a real, real moment. Stuart Goldsmith and Tom Price. Uh, And if you enjoyed that, then, as I mentioned earlier, we've had five previous conversations you can download right now at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk slash dads. Uh, And both Tom and Stu have really excellent podcasts you should check out as well. Uh, Tom does a show called My Mate Bought a Toaster, uh, in which he peruses the Amazon purchase history of his celebrity guest. That sounds silly, but it's actually a really great way to discover something new about people that you may have heard being interviewed before about other things. Uh, He's had people on like Lucy Porter, Danny Wallace, Matt Ford, and I'm pleased to say me, uh, who is his guest on the most recent episode. So if you'd like to hear an hour of me talking to Tom Price about my past purchases on Amazon... Um, my episode is the longest episode he's ever done 57 minutes, I'm proud of that Uh, then just search for My Mate Bought a Toaster wherever you get your podcasts Uh, it's a great show Uh, also Stu's show, The Comedian's Comedian is genuinely one of the all-time greats if you are interested in comedy he's done over 300 episodes of that now Uh, he's had everybody on Deborah Francis White, Josh Widdicombe, Chris Addison talking about their comic technique and influences. Just recently, Alexi Sale, Robert Popper. I mean, it's a treasure trove. Uh, you can find all of his episodes at comedianscomedian.com. Uh, right, still to come, it is the Foxhole, our sex section with Alex Fox, who this month admits she may have been wrong about something. 
That's up next after this. Uh, before we find out what your challenge is for next month, let's pause to thank our sponsors for the Zeitgeist this month, BBC Maestro. Yes, BBC Maestro is a subscription-based streaming platform. It's got loads of amazing online courses that you can take part in, which are taught by some really incredible names. Yeah, like Alan Moore, Julia Donaldson. It's a, an incredible repository of online video lessons from people who really know what they're talking about. Um, I'm really excited because Bill Lawrence is on there. Do you know who that is? I don't. Should I know this? He's a, well, no, it's a geeky thing to know who he is, but okay. he's, a, he's a comedy writer. Mm. And he's done an online course for BBC Maestro in writing comedy for television. He's the guy behind Scrubs and Ted Lasso. The thing about these courses is they're long. Like, he's, it's not just guy talks to camera for half an hour and shares some tips that you'd get if you went to go and see them speaking at any literary event. He has done a bespoke 21-lesson, four-and-a-half-hour course on how to write comedy for TV, how to pitch, how to work with actors, how to find your voice. I mean, they're proper deep dives. The one that really stood out for me, though, is... Um Brian Cox teaching acting. And mm. I, I don't think I've ever said this to you, Ollie. But I remind you of Brian Cox? You, you're... I do have that steely determination. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's say yeah. But I have always wanted to learn how to act properly. I don't necessarily want to be an actor, but I just quite like the idea of um, knowing how to act. And the thing about Brian Cox is, I mean, what a name to be teaching you something like yeah. acting. Well, there'd be transferable skills, wouldn't there? Even if you have no intention of being an actor, you know, the the things that he's going to be talking about in that course, how to work with other actors, how to interpret your character, how to learn your lines, all of that stuff might be relevant for whatever you do for a job. Yeah, I was thinking more of explaining to my other half that I did put the clothes away. She just thinks that I didn't, but then I could act the way that I did. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, maybe you will make that pivot, Ollie. You know, there's there's always roles for the back half of the calf in uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. You're saying I'd be <laughs> a literal ass. Anyway, uh, if this appeals to you as it should, then use the code MAN to get 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription at bbcmaestro.com. Yes, go to bbcmaestro.com and use the code M-A-N-N to get your 40% off your favourite video course or 40% off a subscription, which gives you access to every single BBC Maestro course. Let the greatest be your teacher with BBC Maestro. Time to talk sex. It's the foxhole with Alex Fox with news of an exciting new startup, I understand. <laughs> yes, this is a new dating app, Ollie. Uh, and I'm giggling because it has a it has a wonderful name. And if I tell you the name, you might be able to guess what specific type of gentleman it caters to. Um, It's an app called Dinky One. Is it for Teletubbies fetishists? It is a dating app specifically aimed at men with smaller than average penises. Ah. Uh, And they've sent me a press release saying that uh, 27,762 people have already joined up, uh, around a third of them being females. So there are women out there very particularly looking for men who don't have so much going on down there. That is fascinating because that is... I was about to say that's the myth that magazine articles about having a small penis tell you is that, you know, it doesn't make any difference and there are women who particularly are into that. But here's some hard data to back that up. But actually, elsewhere on their site, there is some dubious, questionable maths. Uh, I quote... 
Don't forget that the average size means that 50% of the males in the world are bigger and 50% are smaller. No, it mm. doesn't. That's, no, not, that's how not how averages how... work. That's right. <laughs> I can see what they're getting at, though. Also, I understand why on a dating website that was quite sexually open, there would be a drop-down menu where you would say the kind of thing you're into in bed, and that might be one of the options. But when the entire dating website is predicated on let's match men with small penises with people who like men with small penises, you do wonder what you talk about at that first date. Do you know what I mean? Are you going to get married? I suppose it caters to either people who have a fetish for this Or I guess rather sadly to blokes who feel so very defined by having what they believe to be a smaller than average penis. And as we've chatted about before on the show, most guys who think they have a little dick actually have a very, very normal dick. But it it feels like that must be a a really defining factor in their lives Mm. and and perhaps giving them a lot of hang-ups about how well or, or otherwise hung they are. And does it define a measurement? I mean, does it say you need to be under a certain amount to join? No, it doesn't say you must not be this tall to ride. Um, (laughs) However, they do have a sister site called Big One. Right. No prizes for guessing what that's for. Uh Uh, And they they specify that uh, men who join that must have penises longer than the average of 5.5 inches erect. So I presume Dinky One is for anyone who's uh, coming up a little short on that. Who's the website for the people with the average cocks? Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) Although there's definitely a lot of big cocks on there as well. Okay, right. Uh, Time for your questions of sex. This one comes from a lady called Hattie. uh, And she says, Foxy, what is the deal with CBD in sex oils and lubes? This is cannabis oil, right? Uh, Yes. Does it actually work? Are the products you can get in the UK strong enough to get my vagina stoned? (laughs) I like the idea of a more relaxed, chilled out sexual experience, but I'm not sure whether the lubes I see in stores are just trendy gimmicks. I spoke to a lot of people in order to answer this question. I have had a a, a real um, learning experience when it comes to CBD um, because I was of the same impression as Hattie. I thought that a lot of the stuff that suddenly magically appeared on the shelves is probably just jumping on a buzzword bandwagon mm. and might not actually give you that much of a buzz at all. But it turns out that I might be wrong in certain circumstances. CBD is actually one of, I have discovered, hundreds of, they're called uh, cannabinoids, or to give them their full name, phytocannabinoids, because they're plant-derived, which are uh, molecules that are derived from cannabis plants. And our own bodies actually make quite similar molecules called uh, endocannabinoids. Um, They are associated with um, pain relief and uh, the reduction of inflammation. So they do good, healthy, helpful things in the body. Uh, And some research has shown that if you take the right type and the right combination and the right strength of um, phytocannabinoids, then you can support your own bodily system. Okay, but I don't want reduction of an inflammation during penetrative sex. That's like the last thing I want. You might not in terms of... um, pleasant penile inflammation the the, the tools that i'm bringing to the party yeah you want to remain turgid um but if you're a a vagina owner um who's got issues with say uh really tense muscles things like vaginismus Mm. um if you have something like endometriosis um then anecdotally cbd um 
can be very useful in, in relieving pain there. Um, I spoke to Lola Jean, who has featured on the show before for holding the world record of uh, volume of squirt produced in under one minute. Um, she has experimented with um, CBD and THC infused uh, sexual products and said that because they, they can act as a vasodilator, although their efficacy depends on a number of factors, which we'll get into, um, they can increase blood flow to places like the vagina and thus enhance um, how sexy and scintillating things feel. Um, if you're having anal sex and you apply these to the bumhole region, then reduction of tension and, and relaxing of muscles can be very useful there. Um, plus, if you're somebody who generally thinks too much and too hard about sex and needs some, some help chilling out and being in the moment and being in your body rather than your head, then some people say that CBD can help with that as well. well as absorbed as a lubricant through the vagina. I mean, maybe that's not so ridiculous. I mean, people do uh, put pills up their bottom, don't they? Well, actually, Ollie, when CBD is applied vaginally via something like a lubricant, or you can also get CBD-infused tampons and, and pessaries, um, there is something called the first uterine pass effect, uh, which means that um, when the drug is in the upper tract of the vagina or when those compounds are in the upper tract of the vagina, it's kind of um, it's processed locally through the pelvic organs before it enters into the bloodstream more, uh, more universally. So it can actually uh, increase what is known as the bioavailability of the CBD and effectively mean that it gets to work where it's needed faster. So if it's such a miraculous thing, uh, you know, why haven't Mates and Durex brought out a version then? Why is this still quite a niche idea? Well, for a start, because the legislation on it has changed quite recently. Um, in the UK... CBD products are only legal if they contain no more than 0.2% THC. Now, THC is the psychoactive part of cannabis. That's the bit that gets you stoned. That's the bit that gets you high. CBD can make you feel a little bit more chilled out, but it won't make you feel like you're tripping. But it's still got a little percentage of the trippy stuff in it. I mean, if you really went down on someone and went to work, would it be possible <laughs> to get stoned or not? Not on something legally available in this country. Mm -hmm. uh, CBD plays best when it's with friends. It likes for there to be other molecules present, uh, which are also derived from the cannabis plant. Some are called flavonoids, some are called terpenes, and of course, THC. When you're purchasing a product in the UK... You can't have too much of that that THC in it. So you need to, to look for something which will be labelled either full spectrum or broad spectrum, meaning that lots of those other molecules are also in the mix. They all act in synergy with one another. Uh, it's what's called the entourage effect, <laughs> which to me make it sound like, you know, there are lots of suited and booted men all up in my foof, which would definitely work to arouse me. Um, you also need to look at the concentration. Um, now, figures on this vary because it depends on uh, how your how your individualistic body reacts to these type of molecules. It depends on your body size. As a general rule, if your the, your product states that it has a percentage of cannabinoids on it, then that is likely to be uh, more more legit than something that just in passing mentions CBD. Some products have been found just to have hemp oil in them, which isn't going to do anything at all. Um, but because the, the law is quite kind of, uh, kind of fluffy and lax on this, it's easy to get away with marketing something as having a property which is unlikely to have. 
I feel like those guys at Glastonbury Festival over all these years were missing a trick not having hemp oil lube available for the festival. You used to be able to get like sort of, you know, fake uh, legal drugs that you could take and you used to be able to get kind of hemp satchels. (laughs) But this feels like the perfect (laughs) middle ground product. Something to take home and try. I don't think that humping on a hemp satchel is going to help your snatchel. Um, (laughs) Ideally, you need to look for a reputable company who have something called a certificate of analysis present on their website somewhere. That's another good indicator that you are getting something that isn't just saying it contains CBD uh, as a nod to fashion, but it actually contains enough of it and of a sufficiently broad spectrum of molecules that it will do the do where you intend to do it. And talking of nods to fashion, I mean, Hattie's email sort of implies that this is just a trend. And, you know, it sounds kind of fun. Is it worth the extra money? Should she try it out? Do you think this is going to be something that is still around with us in 10, 20 years time? I think we're likely to see even more of it, to be honest. Um, I spoke to a woman called uh, Chelsea from a company called VelvetSwing.com, and she's based in California, uh, where the laws on THC are different. Uh, She's been in both the sex education industry and the cannabis industry for over 10 years, so she really knows her stuff. And also she is uh, someone living with endometriosis and anecdotally told me that this has been a real game changer for her. Um, One of the things that she has been experimenting with is... Um, delivering using what she calls a lube shooter (laughs) it looks like a mini version of you know when you do the um, mastic around the side of your bath you can get like a mini version of that that's designed to um, deliver lubes or oils uh, quite like shoot them quite high up into the vaginal canal so they sit around the bottom of the cervix Mm -hmm. Um, and she has had a lot of success she says using body safe CBD and THC containing oils, um, but she's had a lot of uh, a lot of success with shooting <laughs> CBD and THC oils inside of herself, and then applying them topically to the outside of the body. I bet she knows how to marinate a great chicken at a barbecue as well. <laughs> Uh, if you have a question of sex for the next episode of The Foxhole, what do you need to do with it? Head to our website and click the feedback button. Plus, you can find me all over social media at Alex Fox, A-L-I-X-F-O-X. And with that, we have very nearly reached the end of this month's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new ambassador. It is Simon Cutler of Ottawa, Canada. Karen Gunn has been in touch to nominate him. Uh, she says, Ollie the Modern Man is Simon's favourite podcast. He's British, and it provides him a little taste of home right when he needs it. We look forward to every new episode and even compete to text each other when a new one is posted. It is his 50th birthday this year, so I'd love him to hear his name on your show. Consider it done, Karen Gunn. Uh, I now appoint Simon Cutler, Manbassador for Ottawa. Text him now. Uh, if you would like to be a Manbassador, just buy us a beer and drop us a line. All the links are on our website. Until next time, our theme music is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and we'll see you with something new on the 1st of June.